AFC, I hope everybody is doing well tonight, and you're back for another one of our Wednesday night worships, and that is super exciting. I hope you, uh, hope you enjoyed the, uh, the retreat video that we put up. I know that that means more to about 70 people in the room that actually went, um, but I don't show it just to make people feel bad. I don't show it just because um, I wanted to guilt you into going on the next one or anything like that. I show it because uh, retreat is just different. There's just a break from reality that happens at retreat. See, what happens is we, we get up to this camp in the mountains, and our cell phones like almost instantly stop working. And the, the service is very spotty. There's not very much Wi-Fi. So people are forced to talk to each other. Not only that, the, uh, um, the creation that we're in, the, 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 the pine trees and the creeks that run down the mountains, I mean, it's absolutely beautiful. It's so easy to see God in that, in that uh, scenario. And then, and then the worship. Man, I don't know if we just sing louder up there, if it's the thin air or what. I have no idea, but it's so honest, and it's so raw, and it's so, it's just true worship, and it's really exciting. Now, I say all those things because that's not our day-to-day reality, but as the, as the leader of this ministry, I'm telling you, the vision statement is, is that every Wednesday night when we walk in here, we would get a glimpse of that feeling. This weekend, I honestly think it was somewhat of the kingdom come that we see in Scripture, the idea of heaven on earth. I honestly believe we got a little bit, that, a little bit of that this weekend, and, and I know we don't have any pine trees or creeks running down the middle. That would be great, um, but we do, what we do have is a bunch of Jesus-loving people in here, and we want a little bit of slice of heaven tonight. So I hope you have a little bit of expectations tonight, because tonight just might be the night that God changes everything. Maybe it's the songs, maybe it's the scripture, I don't know what it is, but tonight might be the night. And so we're going into this evening with that kind of expectation. So I'm going to dive in. Las Cruces is my new home. Tessa and myself, my wife and myself, we're doing everything that we can to make Las Cruces, um, to, to lay down roots in Las Cruces. We've done everything from, uh, from buy property to place membership at the church to, uh, to finding jobs that, a job that I like and a career that she knows that she can do well here as well. We want to put our roots down here. We feel very comfortable that at least for the time being that God wants us here and that we want to be here as well. And so it's a very, it's a very good feeling loving this, this city that we're in. Um, but I'm going to be real honest. If you cut me open, I promise you I'm going to bleed the black and gold of the Almogordo fighting tigers. That's just all it is <coughs> because that's where I'm from. That is where I'm from. No booze. This is church. Come on. <laughs> that, that's, that's just that's where I'm from, and, and, and that will always be home. And I'm going to date myself just a little bit and tell you that in three short years, I'm going to my 10-year class reunion and homecoming game, and that just almost irks me to say, but in, in three short years, I'm going to be there. And, and homecomings and reunions, they're, they're, they're kind of funny, because what, what it is, is it's this, chance to, uh, it's this chance to see if the class favorites were picked correctly. You know, like, is the person who was voted most attractive, is he still attractive, is he has that beer belly? You know, and the girl that we voted to be most successful, did she go and get that law degree or, or not? You know, do, like, we, we don't know, and so we're kind of, um, we kind of measure up how things went in the past 10 years. And so when I go back to mine, maybe I won't be driving the, the brand new truck that I thought I was going to be driving. Maybe my bank account's not going to be exactly what I thought it was going to be when I was daydreaming 10 years ago. Um, I do know one thing. I'm going to have a smoking hot wife by my side, so that feels good to know. And um, we have three years, and so maybe three years we can have some kids to take with us. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm, still, I'm still pushing for that almost on the daily, but, uh, but it's not a battle I've won just yet. 
But overall, for myself, my homecoming and my reunion in a couple years is going to be a celebration. It really is going to be a celebration. I feel like God's done really great things in my life in the past uh, seven years. And, and the thing is, for everybody else, it's, it's not going to be that easy. I have a friend from high school um, that won't be making it that day, mostly because um, I don't think the New Mexico prison system is going to let him um, have temporary parole just for a picnic and a football game. Now, for some reason, if he does get out and he makes it, um, I doubt that his addiction, the disease that he got from that addiction, and, uh, and his failed marriage are going to be things that he, that he boasts about. I just don't think that's going to be things that come up in conversation. Unless something happens. Unless something happens. See, as a Jesus follower, we got to hold, truth to this idea, hold true to this idea that no matter how far we wander, if we choose to go back, home is always waiting home is always waiting. So with that being said, tonight we're going to look at another passage in Scripture, and we're keeping with um, the semester theme to go from an author named Dr. Luke. Luke was a physician in the Bible that dedicated his life um, to, to pursuing God and, this, and Jesus and telling the story of Jesus and his early church. And so we're going to be in the book of Luke or the book of Acts, which he also wrote all semester. And so tonight we're going to study another parable that is only found in the book of Luke, which is, again, maybe I'm just a Bible nerd, but I think it's fascinating that of the four stories of Jesus, only Luke records this story again, and it's the story, it's the parable of the prodigal son. And so we have a slide right here of a gentleman named Henry Nouwen. Now, I told you about Henry Nouwen last week. It's on the next slide. Yeah, so Henry Nouwen was a pastor and an author that I told you guys a little bit about last week, and uh, he wrote this book called The Return of the Prodigal Son, A Story of Homecoming. <coughs> Excuse me. A story of homecoming. Now, Nowen being a pastor and an author and a theologian, of course he knew the story of the prodigal son. Of course he knew the text and the historical layout and why Jesus taught it when he taught it. But it wasn't until Nowen ran into a poster of this painting by Rembrandt, till, it wasn't until he saw this painting that he really got rocked by the story and the imagery and the passion that was put into this paintbrush and the passion that was put into this teaching of Jesus. Now and believe that the imagery in this picture um, could, the fact was that the, everybody, and I'll stay on that picture, everybody in the, uh, everybody who ever's had a faith journey, every single person who's ever had a faith journey could find themselves in one of these characters at one point in their life or another. At one point or not, at one point in their life or another, they could find themselves in either the father, the son, the older son, or one of the bystanders' roles. Now and believe that, and it meant a lot to him. We have a, a quote from Nowen on one of his, um, when he was speaking about this painting. Nowen said this, The more I spoke of the prodigal son, the more I came to see it as somehow my personal painting. The painting that contained not only the heart of the story that God wants to tell me, but also the heart of the story that I want to tell God and God's people. All of the gospel is there. All of my life is there. All of the lives of my friends is there. The painting has become a mysterious window through which I can step into the kingdom of God. And so for the next couple of weeks here at Aggies for Christ, we're going to be stepping into not only this painting, but this parable. Maybe you're like me and art isn't something that you, you don't like, you just don't know enough about it to appreciate it that much. But at least everybody in the room can appreciate the teachings of Jesus and the parable of the prodigal son and how it stayed around for two millenniums. We can at least 
appreciate that. And so I want to read the story of uh, the prodigal son right now. And this would usually be a, um, a time where we busted out our Bibles or you read it on the screen. But we have a different way to go over the scripture tonight. So if you guys would just watch this short clip. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So we divided the property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country. And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to the fields to feed his pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, so they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, You were always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad. Because this brother of yours was dead, and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Man, so for the next three uh, for the next three weeks or so, we're going to going through a character study of the different characters in this story: the forgiving father, the bitter older brother, the bystanders who don't really know what to think, and then obviously the younger son, the prodigal son himself. And that's who we're going to talk about tonight. Because I believe, just like Henry Nouwen said, that every single one of us at some point in our faith journey or another, we're going to align with one of the characters in this, in this story. But to become a Jesus follower at all, to even start this journey at all, we have to start in the role of the prodigal son. That has to be something that we all align with in the beginning. So tonight we're going to listen to three voices that are talking to the prodigal. Three voices that are pro- talking to the prodigal. The first one is this. There's a slide for this one. The first one is this. Leave home. Pursue worldly things. This is something that uh, Western culture and American culture, this is something that um, we're told a lot in our lives. The secondly, secondly, the voice we hear after uh, the young man squandered his wealth, it says, you can't go home. You're not good enough. You can't go home. 
you're not good enough. And the last voice that we're going to hear in the story tonight is from the father, the forgiving father who says, welcome home. So dealing with this first voice, as college students, as young adults, we're naturally in a season of wandering. For everybody in the room, the last couple years, the last five, six, seven years for most of us in the room has brought with it a lot of changes. From high school to college, if I'm going to go to college, which college I'm going to go to, what I'm going to major in, what type of job I'm going to take, it's a season of wandering. Now, I don't say wandering like it's a bad or dis disobedient thing like in this story, but I can, I'm just saying from a, from a personality standpoint, our age group can really, really um, assimilate and associate with somebody who, who's in a season of wandering. We really, really can. The problem for us is not when we wander off to a foreign land. The problem for us was not coming to Las Cruces for school or going to New Mexico State. The problem for us, just like the problem for the prodigal son, is when we wander to a, a distant land spiritually, just like the text says, when we wander different, to a different land. And the same is true for the prodigal son. So we start listening to these voices of these other people. Like, uh, your think about your teachers and your administrators and even your parents back home. What do they want for you? They want success. They want you to make more money than they made, be a better generation than they were, have more, spend more, do more, see more. Now, the thing, about, the thing about this advice is I don't think it has any ill intentions behind it. I don't think when somebody tells you, like, I want you to go be successful, I don't think they're trying in any way to wish ill upon you. I don't believe that at all. I just think it is limited, it's a limited expression of love from a limited human heart. A limited expression of love from a limited human heart. You see, the voice that we have to tune into and that we have to fight against this world every single day to tune into is the voice of the Father who says, You are my son, you are my daughter, with whom I am well pleased and with whom my favor rests. That's the voice that we have to fight to hear day in and day out. And our culture fights against every single thing in us to tell us that. We have our first sermon point of the night tonight which says this. While the voices of the world may be well-intended, they are indeed limited. While the voices of this world are well-intended, they are indeed limited. So the young man, he goes out on his own, and maybe this next part of the story isn't that surprising, but he squanders all his wealth. The text says that he did so by doing so, in a, by, by living recklessly, is, is what the text says. And he finds himself at rock bottom. He's forced to go work for the pig farmer, and, and, and he's so hungry, he's dying to eat the, the, the pods or the husks that the, that the pigs are eating. And he asks the guy if he can eat them, and the guy even says no to letting him have pig food. He knows he hit rock bottom. And there's a little secret that I'm going to tell you that ministers and pastors and spiritual advisors that they've done for people in this room is we've prayed for people to hit rock bottom. We've prayed for people to hit rock bottom, not because we wish ill upon anybody, but because of the power that rock bottom can have in somebody's life. I've seen at rock bottom, I've seen individuals ask questions about their faith and pursue God in mighty, mighty ways at funerals, during seasons of a relationship ending, during breakups, when jobs don't work out, when people drop out of school. And it's because at the, at the bottom level of everything, when everything is scraped away and the distractions are gone, Jesus just makes more sense. Jesus starts making a lot more sense. And so the next, the next sermon point that we have tonight is the bedrock of our identity. The bedrock of our identity is children of God. 
That's why I get up here every single night. I don't, do, I don't do the God's child yell just to get up here and get you excited or to give me energy or anything like that. I do it because we're seriously claiming this as our identity as children of God. As children of God. So for the younger son, and for some of us in the room, there's rock bottom. And then we reach this point of, of the bedrock of our identity, which is as a son or daughter but then we have to fight the third voice which says, you're not good enough to go home. Or the second voice that says, you're not good enough to go home. You're not good enough to go home. Now think about the verbiage that the young man had. He, it said he traveled to a distant land, which means he had to travel a long way to get back home. And so this whole way he's walking home, he's thinking of the things he's going to tell his father. He's thinking of the way he's going to apologize. And so he gets home and he, and he, and he says to his father, he says, he says, Father, I, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer to be, I'm worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Treat me as one of your hired servants. That whole entire trip back, and what he comes up with is, I messed up. I'm not worthy. That is college students and young adults to a T. That is us. That is our generation. And that is what I've heard more in this job in the past two years than I have any other thing. No, no, no. I, I can't come back to church right now. You guys won't even want me there. I'm so messed up. Or no, I can't get baptized right now. Uh, me and God, we're just not, I'm, I'm not following him right now. I'm in a deep, dark place of sin right now. There was even a girl that used to come here that uh, uh, she wouldn't take communion. She wouldn't take the Lord's Supper even though she was even though she was a Christian because uh, she just had this one particular sin in her life that she couldn't shake. And so she wouldn't take the Lord's Supper. And that is not the gospel. That is not the gospel at all. That is not what we see in the story of the prodigal son. What we see in the story of the prodigal son is a father who says, welcome back. And so that's the third voice that we hear tonight. And it's not even a voice. The younger son gets to the father, and he says, Father, I, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against heaven. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Just treat me like a slave. And what does the father say? He doesn't even look at him. He turns away to his hired help, and he says, go get him a robe. Go get him a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. And you guys, you over there, you go get that calf and you start grilling up some steaks because we're going to have a party. My son is home. My son is home. See, we as a generation of believers and the generation of next, the next church leaders, we have to fight against this desire to say that we're not good enough and that we have to get right before coming back to God. We have to fight against that desire because you won't ever do it. We won't ever get to that point where we're perfectly clean before God. It just doesn't happen. That's not who Jesus came to save. He didn't come to save the healthy. He came to save the sick. And so we have to fight against that. Now in that painting that Rembrandt painted, the younger son doesn't look like his dad, and he doesn't look like his older brother. His, he doesn't even have his robe anymore. He's just wearing undergarments. His hair, is, his hair is ratty, and his shoes are falling off. He came home filthy, but the point is, is he came home. He came home. I got a sermon point that says, a trait of a mature believer is one who can accept forgiveness. A trait of a mature believer is one that can accept forgiveness from God the Father. From God the Father. Any other view of God 
is going to turn God into a resentful God, a God that is only worried about judgment and an unloving God, and that is just misunderstanding who God is. Individuals who stay mad at God or individuals who stay mad at the church, I believe, just have a misunderstanding about who God is. And that's why the story of the prodigal son is so important, because it paints God in this image of a father welcoming home his son. <coughs> I, was, uh, I was sitting down with somebody last week in a, in a counseling session, and um, the conversation man, got pretty heavy, and um, I was feeling pretty pessimistic about the situation, more so realistic about the situation this person was going through. And, and then this week I was writing the sermon, I was thinking about my friend who won't be at my high school reunion, and I was getting pretty pessimistic about the situation. The odds of him turning it around in this world are really, really slim. Really, really slim. But then I remembered. I'm a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as a believer in such things, I believe in a God who turned dry bones into flesh. Amen? I believe in a God who looked at rocks and said, I can make those rocks stand up and worship me if I want to. Amen? I believe in a God that parted the sea. I believe in a God that raised his son from the dead. I even got a tattoo on my wrist that says, Son, stand still, because I believe in a God who had the sun in the sky, and, and one of his leaders asked it to stop so God's people had more time in the day to finish this battle they were fighting. I believe in a God that made the sun stop in the sky for a whole nother day. And more simply than that, I believe in a God that welcomes home his prodigal son. That belief, the belief in that God, in that father, has to trump my pessimism. It has to trump my realism when it comes to the hardships that we're facing, the hardships that I'm facing, or the prodigals that we see in this world. You see, at the end of Jesus' life, there were two of his disciples that took the took prodigal son type roles. One was named Judas, and one was named Peter. Now, most of you might know the story about this, but I'm going to go over it anyways. Judas was the man who sold Jesus Christ, the Messiah, into the hands of those who would kill him for 30 pieces of silver. That was Judas. Peter was one of the closest disciples to Jesus, probably knew Jesus about as good as anybody else in the world. And he denied, he denied Jesus three times right before his crucifixion. Three times. Now here's where the stories take a turn. Judas wallowed in what he had done distraught about the decision that he made, and he hung himself, and he chose death. Peter, in this prodigal son role, with tear-filled eyes, comes right back to the Father. He comes right back to the Father, right back to Jesus, and he chose life. He chose life. And the last sermon point for tonight is the main takeaway is at rock bottom, the prodigal son chose life. The call for us is the same tonight. The call for us is the same tonight. Maybe some of us have ran into a foreign land spiritually. 
Maybe some of us have denied who we are as believers. Maybe some of us just aren't the disciple makers and the world changers that we thought we'd be at this point in life. But no matter where we're at in life, and no matter what character in the story that we are, we always have the option to go home and to choose life. Will you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we love you and we praise you and we're thankful for your word. We're thankful for the story of the prodigal son and we're thankful that you welcome us home. Because God, we don't deserve it. We're filthy, we're in rags, we ran away, and yet you're here, calling us home, ready to have a party. And so we're thankful for that truth. And God, I'm really thankful for this group tonight. I'm thankful for their desire to pursue you amongst a million other things they could be doing on that campus or in this city tonight. They're here wanting to get closer to you, Lord. And so I pray a special blessing over every one of them that, uh, that this story, that the story of the prodigal son would, would grip them and would grip myself and would lead us to a place where we can come home and be called your son again. We ask all this in your son's most precious name, I pray. Amen. Tonight, if you're, uh, if you're